Welcome to Hold Up Podcast. (laughs) Please don't copyright claim this podcast and send us a cease and desist letter. Okay, I'll stop singing now. (laughs) Anyways, welcome back to Hold Up. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, David Dennis, and I'm joined with... Matthew Cleary, good to be here. Good to see you. Thank you. You as well. Uh, we were just talking uh, uh, before we started. I just recently got my second dose of the COVID vaccine. It knocked me on my ass for a whole day, but I'm I'm okay now. <laughs> Very nice. I'm happy to nice. happy to have it, even even after the the crappy under the weather day that I had. It's uh, sure it's worth it. Things are starting to open up again here in Ontario. I think in a couple of weeks we're gonna have movie theaters finally open. So yeah, it feels good to finally get some semblance of normality back. Uh, how are things going on your end? In, in oh, you know, Columbia feels pretty open right now. Um, I've been in Medellin the last couple of weekends. The town where I live in is pretty normal. Medellin seems pretty uh, back to back to usual. I mean, people got masks on, but other than that, I, you know, things are open. There's not like uh, you know forced sort of forced distancing or anything anymore. So, pretty much back to normal. It's been pretty fun. Very nice. All right. So, in case you didn't guess uh, from the the horrible intro that <laughs> I had to make everyone endure. Um, we are talking today about the first two Steven Spielberg directed Jurassic Park movies based on the novels by uh, the late great Michael Crichton. Uh, and I'm sure we have lots of uh, conflicting opinions about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually chose this episode because uh, we did talk about Jurassic Park at one point in the past, and it's one of the few movies we disagreed on. Right, right. Uh, it's like one of my all time favorite Probably in my top 50 movies. I don't know if it's good enough to be in, like, the top 20. But, yeah, top 50, top 100. And and definitely in, like, my Spielberg top 10. I don't know okay. if it would make the top 5. Um, but, yeah, I really like Jurassic Park. <laughs> I don't think it's a perfect movie. Right. I think there are flaws in it. But I would still give it like a I would give it probably a five out of five. But anyways, we'll we'll get into sure <laughs> things we liked slash didn't like. See, for me, it was uh, when I first saw it, one of my most disappointing movies. I didn't not necessarily one of my least favorite movies by any means. I was just such a fan of the book. Went to the theater one of the opening weekends, and it was let me down. I guess just because it differed from the book in certain way. We'll, we'll get into, we'll get into that. Yeah, I'm interested to talk about that because I have not read the book. So my only experience is with the movie. I have watched videos that compare the book to the movie and like read like analyses and stuff that compare them. So I'm I'm fairly familiar with like the stuff that was left out of the movie that's in the book right. uh, and vice versa or the characters that died in the book that didn't die in the movie right. and stuff like that. Big differences there. Yeah, although this movie is a lot closer to the book from what I've heard uh, than The Lost World is. Yeah, I don't think The Lost World is even... (laughs) I I never... That's the interesting thing about that. I've never read The Lost World book. I heard it wasn't very good. I heard it was just sort of like a, hey, let's write a book really quick and... Like a cash grab. Yeah. And Crichton wasn't really into it. Kind of like the movie. (laughs) Kind of like the movie. Spielberg wasn't necessarily into it. Um... But um, 
Yeah, they had an entire subplot of the other company trying to steal the eggs yeah. or whatever, and they just completely wrote that off and had it basically like the internal company, the InGen or whatever, InGen? Yeah, the the Dodgson, Dodgson character, character yeah. From Jurassic Park, I think, is a bad guy in The Lost World. Right, and then um, I guess which, in real life, he's going to be in the new sixth movie, or I don't know, they're up to five or six right now? Oh, really? Because I was going to say that guy is in jail now for sexual assault. Ah, they repl- yeah, they replaced <laughs> I'm assuming him. it's going to be yes. a different... Cam- yeah, Campbell okay. <laughs> Scott is going to be the actor. Campbell Scott from The Spanish Prisoner and... Um, uh, Do I know him? Cameron Combs. familiar. He was in the one of the bad Spider-Men. He was Spider-Man's dad, I think. Oh, that guy. Okay. Yeah, I like the Spanish Prisoner a lot. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I'm not really. All right. Yeah, he's. I have a a passing familiarity with him. Oh, he was in House of Cards as well. That's where I know him from. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, my experience with Jurassic Park, I didn't see it in theaters because I was only like five or six when it came out. Um, I saw it on VHS uh, with my cousin, <laughs> probably when I was like nine or ten-ish. Okay. Uh, it didn't like scare me that much, but it was pretty frightening for like a, a kid that young. Definitely. Sure. I would have been, um, fif- it came out in 93, right? So that makes me 15 when it comes out? I guess. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I, I think you're ten years, about yeah. 10 years older than yeah. me. So born yeah, born in 78. I would have been so. five. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> okay, yeah, I'm born in 88. So yeah, I would have been five. You would have been yeah. uh, 15. So you would have been more the perfect age for it, which is why I'm, it's interesting that you <laughs> didn't like it. I feel like this movie was made for 15-year-old boys, but maybe you're at that more critical... I think when you're at that age, you're very critical of, like, everything. Yes. In your late teens. <laughs> I also, I, I've always had a dislike for quote-unquote comic relief that I've never found funny. And very few very few times have I ever found comic relief funny in, in anything. And in child actors. So I remember my biggest criticisms when I first, and, I've only, and the interesting thing, before I watched it for this show, I'd only seen it at that time in the theaters. I've never gone back and rewatched it, but it was funny how much I remembered, mostly because of so many things that come up, like in pop culture, you know, Clever Girl. Yeah, yeah, you see clips of it all the time. Exactly. But the, the, I, I don't, the, the kid actors didn't bother me as much as they did in the theater. In the theater, I, I was just, especially the, the shock scene, um, there's a few, the, 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 the uh, dinosaur sneezing on the girl scene. There's just a few things like that that are just like really put, because like, you know, if the book is very serious in tone. The book is certainly not this, um, it, it had the to- tonally the book is very, very, it's more scientific too. Um, they spend a lot of time in the yeah. science, which, and I don't think the books aged very well. It's not, I haven't gone back and reread it and I have no plan to, but I kind of imagine the book probably wouldn't hold my attention now as it did when I was 15. But yeah, I remember the kids really, really, really bugged me. Just the whole, you know, just the, just the, the, the little boy, especially it was really annoying, but he didn't bother, bother me this much, you know? Yeah. I've, I've. I found the same thing. I mean, they didn't bug me at all when I was a kid because I mm-hmm. was a kid. So I didn't I didn't like notice 
acting <laughs> really like mm-hmm. I didn't know if someone was being a good actor or a bad actor as a child right um and then over time around the same time as you probably when I was in my teens I thought the kids were annoying and I hated them and I wish <laughs> they weren't in the movie right. and then I've kind of come around the same way as you I, I I don't mind the kids now I like I actually like that they're a little bit annoying it bugs me now when I see kids in movies and they're too perfect they're like they don't act like actual kids act like they act like little tiny adults and they're smarter than all the the parents in the room and i'm like that's not like that like have you been around kids lately (laughs) they're annoying as shit (laughs) so yeah when the when he's bugging dr grant or whatever i'm like i I think a kid would do that yeah yeah when he's like oh i read this other book and this other guy said this and that it's like yeah like Kids are annoying like that. So. And I guess that was it's Grant's arc, too. Grant, like, he hated kids, and then by the end... Yeah, they're they're not there for no reason. They're not right. there just to be kids, which is a problem, again, that we'll get to the sequel. I feel like the kid in, in The Lost World has literally no reason to be in that movie at all. No, right. But <laughs> these kids are actually there to kind of push... Uh, maybe not push the story forward, but they at least push his character arc. Like, he learns to appreciate children by the end of the movie. And it literally ends with, like, a shot of him with, like, the kids uh, sleeping next to him, which is nice. You know, that took some of the tension away, I think. Whereas, if this movie gets made today, and maybe not a Spielberg, but maybe, like, in in an R-rated sense... You could almost expect one of the kids to get eaten by dinosaurs, you know, because 1993, though, Spielberg, probably was PG-13, right? Obviously, the kids were surviving. Yeah. And obviously, Grant and Laura Dern were surviving. So that was part of the, it kind of took a little bit of the tension away, too, I think, when at least when I was 15, where once I realized that he wasn't following the book and, like, he got rid of all the disposable characters really quick. Then I was like, oh, okay, mm. this is, you know, these kids are going to outsmart the dinosaurs or whatever. You know, so I, it took a little tension away where, um, yeah. and also in the rewatch, I, I didn't feel, I definitely, I, I might have been, I don't know, the jump scares might have got me when I was a kid. On the rewatch, I liked it for that, like, survival, survival movie. I don't know, that genre of, like, survival horror is pretty cool. Because at its heart, what is this? It's a monster movie. You know, and um, and I think that's that's one thing that that having Spielberg is a great director and having him and the way he builds tension and stuff was really, uh, really good. That 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 certainly made it an interesting rewatch. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I I made a point of watching the few Spielberg movies I hadn't uh, watched yet. Uh, most of which were stuff that came out before Jurassic Park. I've seen pretty much everything he's made since this. Uh, so I, I noted like an interesting kind of arc in Spielberg's career where he kind of he starts in the 70s like making low budget, uh, like very competently made, like made for TV movies, and then he kind of graduates to something really big like Jaws. Uh, he made Sugarland Express first, which is a good movie. I enjoy Sugarland mm-hmm. Express. But then he made Jaws, which was like the biggest movie on the planet. Uh, and then he goes on this string of making uh, like more fun, adventure kind of movies uh, until 1984 when he makes Temple of Doom, 
which he hated. <laughs> mm-hmm. He just had like a miserable time making it. He didn't enjoy it. And it, and it shows because that movie is very dark. Uh, it's still like fun and playful in a Spielbergian kind of way, but it's very like dark and kind of mean spirited. And then he sort of he immediately switches after that because his next movie after that is The Color Purple. Mm-hmm. And he starts focusing more on like these human dramas he does that. He does uh, Empire of the Sun, Always. Uh, even Last Crusade is like the the most humanistic uh, of the Indiana Jones trilogy. Right. Uh, and then when Jurassic Park comes out, it feels like a marriage of early Spielberg with like conte- what was at the time, I guess, contemporary Spielberg. Right. It feels like the first half of the movie is contemporary, like – Ooh, ah, wow, isn't the world beautiful, Spielberg? And then the second half of the movie, as soon as the T-Rex breaks out of the fence, it becomes early, uh, like, pre-Temple of Doom, Spielberg. Uh, So in that sense, I think this movie is like a perfect marriage of the two Spielbergs coming together. Mm -hmm. And you don't see that after that, because Spielberg, after this movie, becomes very split very like almost schizophrenic between the two styles of movies that he makes like he'll kind of bounce back and forth for every like Tintin there's a the post or a bridge of spies or whatever so this was kind of the last the last time we really saw those styles married together even in the sequel there's not really that like sense of wonder that sense of awe that you get in the first half of jurassic right like lost world just really rushes you to get to the island so people can start getting eaten by dinosaurs (laughs) but yeah it's just interesting to note that and then the other thing i did prior to this episode was i watched all of the michael crichton directed movies not the michael crichton movies that were based on his books that came out in like the 90s like sphere or timeline or whatever but like the movies he directed in like the late 70s early 80s right like andromeda strain uh i couldn't find andromeda strain so i didn't watch that which is frustrating because i really wanted to see it but I i watched uh coma runaway i can't remember the other ones i think i watched three or four of his movies But I noticed, like, he has this running theme throughout all of his movies of, like, a general mistrust of technology. I didn't even know he had died. Oh, yeah, like 2010, 2011, I think. Or 2008, there we go. Yeah, a while back. Yeah, I think he and Dan O'Bannon died around the same time, and it was really sad because I like both of them a lot (laughs) as as writers and directors. Oh, Looker was the other one. It was Runaway, Looker, and then uh, Coma. And then I've I've seen Westworld before as well. Oh yeah, I, I liked Westworld. Yeah, too. I couldn't I couldn't find Andromeda Strain, and I couldn't find the first Great Train Robbery. I wanted to watch those, but I remember seeing the the Andromeda, Andromeda Strain. But I, I've noticed that he has that theme of like uh, he likes to explore new technologies, uh, like. Looker has, um, like, plastic surgery, which was becoming a big thing in the 80s. Uh, I think Runaway was all about, like, robots kind of going crazy. Same with Westworld. Uh, Coma was all about, like, medical technology. Uh, But it's always, like, what could go wrong 
what kind of chaos can ensue. So I feel like Ian Malcolm in this movie is kind of like Michael Crichton's insert character. Oh, definitely, yeah. And definitely even more so. He he feels like Michael Crichton's inner voice more than any of the other characters do, for sure. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, that's, that's what I liked about Jurassic Park, is it was kind of a marriage of, like, the Michael Crichton themes with the Steven Spielberg style, and I think here it came together really well, but... I don't know. I'm curious if you still like watching it again. Did you still have any of the same criticisms that you had from the first time or any of the like, well, bad, like jokey joke moments, like not holding up? I, I didn't like any of the jokey joke moments. The, the, I, not a single one worked okay. for me. I liked the, the Jeff Goldblum's uh, satire. He had some witty remarks. But see, I don't consider that like comic relief. Comic re- I like for me, I hated the I hated the Newman scene. That was almost like out of a Stooges movie. It was really like, you know, um, when he gets spit on by the dinosaur. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't mind that, really. Well, I guess hate's a strong word. I, I guess I kind of felt that annoying. It just, it took any tension out of his death. Um, mm. it, it just like, they played it for laughs, which was kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of dark humor, I guess. Yeah. It was almost like slapsticky. I guess maybe also because it's being played by Newman, you know, this Wayne Knight. Yeah, and, you know, he's a big guy, and he's yeah. trying to climb up a, a muddy hill, so it's, I don't know if it's really slapstick, or it's just, it's hard for him to get up that hill, like. Yeah, maybe maybe for me, the casting, too, because I just always see that actor as Seinfeld guy. Um, yeah, and he was in the middle of that show at the time, too, so I feel like right, the whole world right. was like, oh, Newman, like, <laughs> you're not alone. They um, they did a weird, uh, the, the lawyer's death I really didn't like. I didn't like it mostly because in the book he was such a great character. He went, In the movie he was just sort of a throwaway, I guess he had a couple lines, then he kind of dies like sort of a cowardly death. Yeah. But um, in the book he was one of the main... He, like, he saves the kids several times in the book. He's a really good character in the book. A movie who's just a throwaway. And then I, I, yeah, I remember in the theater, too. I was angry about that. Because I was like, I like this character. And the fact that they kind of gave him such an unceremonious death didn't bother me this time. Because, you know, like I said, it's been so many years since I even picked up that book. But I just, uh, I, I, I didn't like the comic that to me that was too much of like the 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 childish side of Spielberg's things you know i don't i don't know um if yeah. i put this side by side to jaws i'm going to always take jaws you know in terms of just like survival monster movie sort of things oh yeah yeah i mentioned be- like I, I don't consider Jurassic Park to be a perfect movie no. i do consider jaws to be a perfect movie i do too yeah uh yeah jaws does have a little bit of humor in it, but yeah, it doesn't quite have the goofy, childish. Like Spielberg was just coming off of Hook when he made this, and Hook yeah, and is terrible full movie. of that goofy, lame, childish, yeah. <laughs> terrible humor, and a little bit of that bled into Jurassic Park. I, I agree yeah. with that. So yeah, the the lawyer's death is a little bit yeah is a little bit goofy, I and that's understand. the kind of stuff that doesn't hold up because they don't really do that in these movies nowadays. You know, this Jurassic Park today would be a very different movie, I think, in terms of in terms of a lot of stuff. Well, you'd think, but the Jurassic World movies. Oh, I haven't seen those. That's true. They spend like 30 percent of their runtime trying to recreate scenes from the original Jurassic Park. Like, 
remember this? Remember when yeah. there was a, a mirror and the T-Rex was in the mirror? Like, they do lame stuff like that. I'm really not. I kind of hate the Jurassic World <laughs> movies. And I've heard there's annoying um, I, kids in there, too. The first one is okay. Yeah. The, the first Jurassic World is okay. The second one was terrible. I hated that movie. That was that was me walking out of the theater angry like you did with the first <laughs> Jurassic Park. Like I don't even know if I want to go see the the third one when it comes out. The it second one really is uh, was monster dinosaurs in a mansion or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So stupid. The second one introduces the idea that there's like a volcano on the island the whole time that nobody knew about, and it was active right. for 20 years even though nobody mentioned it and it's about to go off and kill everything on the island and I'm like why don't they just they could establish the same plot line but just have it be like the United Nations all had a meeting and they said let's nuke this island it has dinosaurs on it and right. they're going to kill people <laughs> like you could establish the same thing without the volcano that, that whole movie anyways I won't get going on it because <laughs> I won't stop because I hate it so much but yeah, they're they're remarkably actually very similar to this. Like they're not right. actually that different. I would love for someone though to make what you were saying like a full full on like R rated uh, monster movie, which I think is what the Lost World could have been. Yeah, I think there it kind of had the darker tone. Yeah, and it's a very like Jurassic Park is more of a. Not a soft PG-13. It's still very edgy. Yeah. But The Lost World is like a really hard PG-13. Yes, exactly. Like I think they had to cut it down a little bit to yes. avoid an R rating, actually. Um, for me, you know, my biggest criticism, and it, it was back in 93, and I still say it today. Um, in the book, John Hammond is basically the villain of the story. And mm. they kind of retconned a little bit that he's... From what I haven't seen the two new ones, but from what I've seen, like I remember watching a Red Letter Media review, was that they kind of wrote, oh no, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. They wrote him that like he was a hero in that one too, that he was like some environmentalist, naturist, naturalist guy. But that, okay, now that, I'm going to confuse you yeah. because I watched that review. But no, okay, Lost World, he kind of kind of changes. His, he's like, hey, I was wrong. Um, you know, I was wrong to come. Uh, to what is the word? Commoditize, monetize dinosaurs. They're wonderful, beautiful creatures. Commodify, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah make it make into a commodity. Yeah. Excuse me, but I hated I hated the fact that I guess from what I read in some reviews, Spielberg saw himself in Hammond when he like kind of skimmed through the book, like the showmanship and stuff. So he kind of made Hammond into some P.T. Barnum esque kindly grandfather when in the book he's a straight villain he's a straight um just greedy for money doesn't care about the deaths he dies a very satisfying death death and i really really think that was a missed opportunity um i didn't really like richard attenborough's performance um and i'm not really that familiar with him i guess he's a very big name like in some british stage and stuff but uh and he directed some movies that i've seen Cry Freedom, I guess, was a Richard Attenborough movie, but I just, I, I didn't, I just thought it was a big miss to ha to not have that theme of, you know, man, nature, you know, creating things to make money off of clones, blah, blah, blah. I, I just think you miss out on that by making this guy into some, you know, I guess almost like a good guy. 
And I just, I, I that part, that I can't get past that part, I guess, in saying, um, in terms of themes, you know, and, it, and I could put aside, um, you know, the animatronics, great, tension, great. Um, other characters, I'd say somewhat underwritten, but fine. But I think that's just like, for me, was the, it for me was and is the fatal flaw was not going villain on Hammond, you know, when I think he is a villainous character. Yeah, because he's he's still he's still like a capitalist and they still kind of explore that. Uh like Jeff Goldblum gets angry at one point saying mm-hmm. like, Oh, you're going to stamp a price tag on everything. And now you just want to sell it. Like uh, instead of exploring the science, uh, exploring the possibilities of this, all you want to do is sell it. Uh, so like they, they do kind of explore that in the earlier scenes where they're just talking about the implications of uh, what they've achieved science wise, mm-hmm. but it's not explored in terms of like him being a villain or, uh, I do think it would have been interesting, yeah, if there was, like, midway through the movie, his darker side does come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, once he's in a dangerous situation, you see that he becomes more selfish. Right, kind of thing. right. But that never that never happens. Yeah, he's, he's just remains helpful, and he wants to save his grandkids, and exactly. he cares about everyone. Right, in the book, he doesn't care about the kids at all. Which which I think would have been more interesting. I think yeah, so, I agree, I agree with you. Now that I think about it, I'm like... Uh, yeah, like I, I, I think the way he's written works for the first half of the movie because he does have to be a showman because right, he's, right. he's presenting this park and he's, uh, yeah, he's like a P.T. Barnum with dinosaurs. Uh, but yeah, I think in the second half, once once the T-Rex attacks and things get dark, it would have been more interesting if his character also got more dark and was like, I don't care. We need to do whatever we can to keep the park running. Right. Uh, even if we have to cover up their deaths kind of thing. And then it, in the end, he gets eaten or whatever. I think in the book, isn't he eaten by the copies? Like the little yeah, the little guys from the sequel? Which happens to Peter Cormer in... What's his name? Peter Stormer? Peter Stormer. Yeah, that yeah. happens to him in the sequel. Gets eaten in an entirely too long sequence. Yeah, that was a really bad sequence, I thought. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, even if they just had him, like he runs away and, and one of the raptors eats him or he gets eaten by the T-Rex yeah. or something, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's something until you brought it up just now, I never thought about it. It never bothered me. I was always fine with John Hammond just being this kindly old man who also happens to be a billionaire. Uh, but I think now I'm sure. a little bit more cynical because I'm so I'm just cynical of billionaires in general. Anyone who has more than a hundred million dollars, I think, just has too much money. Period. Like, the, I don't think anyone should just have that much money. Um, and I, I do think having that much money just corrupts who you are as a person. Even right. if you were good before, uh, <laughs> you won't be. <laughs> it kind of it 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 turns you sure. into a bit of a narcissist because there's an element of like, I have this much money because I deserve it. I don't think people can accept that they just have a lot of money because they have a lot of money. It's like they have to justify it. Like somehow I deserve this and no one else does. And that's why I can't give any of my money away. So maybe knowing that now I'm like, yeah, I'm a little more cynical of John Hammond. I think he, he should have yeah. had more of a darker side and didn't. 
I'm wondering too if if that is Spielberg because he saw himself in John Hammond and because he's also a very rich man and was already pretty rich by 1993, didn't want to write the evil <laughs> right. rich character. <laughs> and I, I don't. That's not really a, a Spielberg thing. He doesn't explore class politics really in any of his movies. Uh, it's not. He's not like Bong right, Joon Ho exactly. or something. It's not something he's interested in. I found. Uh, when I was watching all of Spielberg's movie, or not all, but like the ones I hadn't seen before, the thing that struck me is uh, Spielberg seems to be very much a uh, a philanthrope. Is that the word? Like yes. someone who loves people. He genuinely comes across as like a person who loves people and wants to explore the relationships between people. And even like the bad, quote unquote, bad people in his movie are given some level of humanity. Like I'm thinking Danny Glover in uh, color purple at the end is still kind of good, right. even though he's a terrible person and he gets drunk and beats right. his wife and stuff. So maybe some of that was in this, like he, because he loves people so much, he doesn't want to write a character who's just like a cartoon evil right. villain type of guy. I don't know. I, I feel like any other director <laughs> would have done what you suggested and made him. And know, I guess even the, the Newman character was, he was more, you know, he had motivations to, to, to steal. He wasn't written as evil. Yeah. I mean, sort of like, I, I think they handled the idea of how people become yeah. corrupt pretty well, actually with his character, because he's, he's underpaid for the amount of work he's doing, which is usually what leads people to uh, cor either corporate espionage or political corruption or whatever. But he's right. also a greedy bastard. So like, I don't, <laughs> I don't like forgive him for what he did. I think he got what he deserved in the end. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's more of like the quote unquote villain. And like you said, he's comes off as a bit of a, a stooge. And then he dies within like the first. Yeah, he 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 creates the chaos, and then he's out of the story so quickly. Yeah, <laughs> so he doesn't really have to to deal with it that much. I also noticed Jeff Goldblum isn't really given that much to do in this movie. I'm wondering if that's why he had well, his own like, sequel. I was thinking because in the book he's sort of the main character um, more than Grant, I'd say, um, from what I remember. And he's sort of the oh. moral center of the book. He gets injured really early in the book. And so he's kind of giving advice from like, from like the bed of a truck. Or, I don't remember exactly. They put him someplace. But he's like, it's a way where he can interact with almost all the characters. Um, but if you would just based on the movies and you watch the two movies back to back, you'd be like, hmm, this is an interesting sort of random supporting character just to pluck out of the first movie and make the main character of the second movie. It's almost like, wait, Sam O'Neill wasn't just coming back. You know, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of random when you look at it that way. In the movie, he's almost just sort of a, just like the cool comic. No, I, I, I hate saying comic relief because he's more than that. Um, just like the cool, sarcastic, witty character. Yeah. Yeah. I, re I really like Jeff Goldblum more. I mean, I, I like him in the second movie enough but definitely a lot yes. more in the first movie. One of the things I want to compliment this movie on big time is I think it had a really, really good ensemble cast. I think the Jurassic Park sequels actually kind of illustrate 
by the fact that their cast didn't quite jive as well. Yes. They kind of, you can go back to the first one and be like, oh, this actually had like a near perfect cast. Like everyone vibes together really well. Uh, Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum play off of each other perfectly because they're so opposite in their acting styles. Like Sam Mm -hmm. Neill is just so rigid and and Jeff Goldblum is so... um, uh, I mean, he pl- he's a jazz pianist in his in his like spare time, and it, right, his right. acting style is very much is very jazzy. Uh, he like he stutters all the time when he talks, and he throws in all those um ah oh, right know, right uh, <laughs> <laughs> whenever he's he's delivering a line, uh, and Sam Neill just like delivers everything perfectly straight, and I think. Having the two of them side by side is what uh, made this movie so special. And then you break them up in the sequels and they don't quite work as well. Yeah, I agree with that too. I agree with that. Um, I'm not a big Laura Dern fan. Um, I think she's better in other stuff. She's, yeah. I, I just like, okay, I, I remember she was on an episode of Law and Order. I really didn't like her character and that's a terrible reason to judge the actress. But And I don't like Julianne Moore. I've never liked her, so it's kind of funny that the, both these movies have female leads that I've never... Really? I hated the Hannibal movie. Interesting. I, got, I kind of always associated with her with that movie. Yeah, she's she's not good in that, but I, I like Julianne Moore as an actress. I think, uh, yeah, they just they shouldn't have replaced Jodie Foster. Yeah, <laughs> like, and Hannibal is just a, such, a, such a bad movie. Um, yeah, she's she's great in Boogie Nights. She's, she's great good. in uh, The Kids Are All Right. Um, still Alice, she's really good. But yeah, I I like Julianne Moore. She's not my favorite actress, but I think she's fine. Yeah, she's not good in Lost World. I don't think she's good. In, I don't think she's good in that movie at all. But I don't think really anyone's good in it. Yeah, uh, Pete Postlethwaite. Oh, he's yeah, he's great in it. He's the one. He's the one guy who seems to understand where he is. Yeah. I was so shocked, but so happy that his character didn't die in that movie. That was such kind of that was kind of the biggest surprise because I thought he's like okay, here's mm. the the hunter villain character, but they gave him he was probably the most heroic of all the characters despite being an antagonist. Um, and he lives through the whole movie. I thought that was surprising. Uh, now, now, eventually, you do plan to have dinosaurs on your on your dinosaur tour, right? Hello. Hello. Yes. I really hate that man. I guess we're talking about Lost World. Oh, you want to get Lost World? Yeah. Okay. Uh, whatever. We can. Yeah, we get bounced back and forth, I guess. This is the first time I saw Lost World. So I'm interested to to hear your your opinions on this, probably even more than than the first Jurassic Park, actually. Well, I've never never seen Lost World. This is the first time I've seen it. I didn't read a Wikipedia about it. It's not a very popular movie, so people didn't never really talk. Like, I I didn't even know Vince Vaughn was in it. Um, the one thing I knew to look out for was the gymnastics sequence because I think that was sort of the the jump the shark moment in the in the series, I guess, where Pete, you know, kind of turned to schlock. It's not it's not this movie's biggest problem, in my opinion. No, no, <laughs> this movie I think is somewhat we'll get to that. fundamentally flawed in many ways. Yeah, it was flawed by the fact I think that Spielberg didn't want to do it. The 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 set the long the trailer scene that seems to go on forever 
It's like 45 minutes of the runtime. I mean, it's not that long, but <laughs> it seemed, but like it's, it's just like kept 15 on. minutes maybe. Yeah, and it was a long 15 minutes. It was a pretty it was a pretty interesting sequence actually. Um, then they give that poor guy, the, the guy who's just there helping them, they give him the most unceremonious death in the series. That was, you know, other than maybe the lawyer in part one. I was kind of shocked that he died in that because he was doing everything he could to save these people. He could have been a coward and ran away. And then he ends up getting torn in half by the two Tyrannosauruses. But that's like, I don't, I, me as a kid, I thought that was the coolest death of like any movie. He like, went out like a hero. Even though I feel cool. bad for him, yeah. I'm like, whoa, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like 12 year old me just thought that was like the two T-Rexes at the same time. I just thought was amazing. <laughs> um, so this movie does like, I would say the Lost World does up the ante a little bit in terms of like, uh, now, instead of three raptors, there's like 50 raptors. Right, instead of right. one T-Rex, there's two T-Rexes. But I don't think that's enough to make a sequel better than no. the first movie. You can't just say there's... You can't just pile on more stuff. <laughs> and there's that <laughs> and army like, of disposable There's more hunters. people get eaten and there's more dinosaurs. Like, that doesn't make it a better movie. No, not at all. Uh, especially because I think what makes Jurassic Park so great is that there are those uh, philosophical themes about... Uh, science and the nature of technology that are explored. There's that sense of awe and wonder, and there's literally none of that in the Lost World. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's just get to the island <laughs> and survive. That's it. That's the whole movie. Um, that being said, I think yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I think some of the action scenes are good. Yeah. I think Spielberg is really great at. Um, I would call it like domino type action scenes where he like sets up a bunch of dominoes in one scene and then in the second scene he'll knock over all the dominoes. So he'll kind of show you like here's the cliff, here's the trailer, here's the car yeah. that's going to drive the trailer, blah, blah, blah. And then in the next scene he knocks the trailer over the cliff and then comes up with all these wild ideas of how the heroes near all these near misses that can happen kind of thing he does the same thing a lot in in all of the indiana jones movies he'll just set up like uh now he's on a plane and then he's like oh what can i do to have him almost die while he's on a plane but then barely make it right, out alive right uh, so i think he's good he's really good at that sort of thing that's uh, george lucas has complimented spielberg on that uh kind of filmmaking several times before i think that's why he wanted him to make uh, Return of the Jedi because he's so good at the like Rube Goldberg device sure. style of like action filmmaking. Sure. But there's not a strong enough like theme or even a strong enough reason for Jeff Goldblum to go back no. to the island. He should have just broken up with Julianne Moore. <laughs> like she left and literally didn't tell me any, she didn't even tell me where she was going. And she went to the place that was the most traumatic experience of my life. Like we're done. <laughs> they had, I actually kept on thinking that she was with the Vince Vaughn character because she had no chemistry with Jeff Goldblum. Um, and she and Vince Vaughn seem to be more of the couple. Yeah, they have they have more in common. They they free all the dinosaurs right. together. When they first when they first meet on the island, she's like, "Hey, Eddie." Exactly. Like, <laughs> I I just here's here's a huge problem I have with this movie. Okay, the Vince Vaughn character is this environmentalist guy, right? And his whole thing is, you know, okay. So I guess the Arliss Howard character, they they land where they landed. There's a few lines where they say this. 
because they want to capture um, just the herbivores. You know, they're like, you know, because there's one problem in the first movie, too. Why would you even create the Raptors? You know, why would you create this, like, vicious killing, pack hunting animal as part of a, a theme? I mean, <laughs> it makes it makes sense from a touristy standpoint because it's like have, it's like Tiger King. Like the tigers are what get people. Into uh, the park. Wouldn't the T-Rex be the T-Rex would be the one? I would say, I mean, for me, I'm personally I'm going to see the Velociraptors. If there's a real Jurassic Park, like my favorite dinosaur is. But did you know the Velociraptor existed before the movie? Uh, I mean, I didn't. I'm too young, so I didn't uh, okay. really know about dinosaurs before Jurassic Park. I mean, I know that Velociraptors in the movie are not actually No, is they based on a different like kind of dinosaur, yeah. They're based on Deinonychus, right, right. which are like a much bigger version, but right. yeah, actual Velociraptors are like two feet high, they look like turkeys, they're not threatening at all. They just have a, they have a cooler sounding exactly. name, That's so they just switch the names out. But yeah, it's a bit, again, I can see why they made that. Yeah, but. and that sort of stuff doesn't bother me. It's not, it's not science, you know. Okay, Vince Vaughn is an environmentalist. Yeah. Now, these dinosaurs aren't real. These dinosaurs are an extinct species that were brought back together by a bunch of creepy, you know, beady, like, so, all right, so if I'm an environmentalist and I want to save the whales and save the dolphins and save the spotted owl, I wouldn't also add an extinct creature that was brought back. These are basically like an invasive species <laughs> yeah. that would kill all the whales and kill all the dolphins and kill all the owls. Like an environmentalist would want these things eradicated. Mm -hmm. For him to run around and like cut them all loose and do like this Greenpeace sabotage. Like Arliss Howard had a line where he's like, um, this is an extinct species that I created. I own the patent. They are mine. When like I and I kind of like I'm like yeah he's right all these people are like oh these beautiful creatures it's like no <laughs> they're not they're not beautiful creatures these are these are fake animals like if you go to um, if you brought back like okay iguanas are beautiful iguanas are an invasive species in Florida you're supposed to kill them when you see them humanely but you're supposed to kill them because they they uh, same with like lionfish. And all these other invasive species that, like, end up in places like Florida, you know, because of wh whatever reasons. Like, there's... Yeah. These, what, what would the dino... Okay, this is true. If Costa Rica had these islands with dinosaurs, they would completely wipe out the native population in a matter of days. Yeah, there's there's no, like, parrots or whatever there exactly. used to be on these islands. Exactly. And there's plenty of... <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of endangered species living in Central America that would be at risk. So for him to like treat them as if they're like a real animal always bothered me. And that's like a theme through a lot of these things. Like where they're like treating them, like, like when the little mm -hmm. thing had a broken leg and he's like carrying it, he's like, oh, we gotta save it. You know, he, you know, it's like, no, you don't, <laughs> you know? And that's what puts them in trouble in the first place. If they just left the thing there, it would have been. So I don't feel any attachment to, and I'm an animal guy, I love animals. Mm -hmm. I feel zero attachment to these animals. Because in my mind, I just always see them as like fake clone. And like in the later movies, I guess they're not even real dinosaurs anymore. They start like creating hybrids and all sorts of things. Uh, there's like in Jurassic Park 3, there's more dinosaurs that weren't on the original because there's the 15, I think, uh, on the original InGen list. But they introduced the idea that they had cloned stuff that wasn't part of that list. Right. Um, 
<clears throat> and then yeah, in the in the Jurassic World movies, they make like hybrid right. dinosaurs. Part Vasilorapt. Uh, I forget what it's called, but and that's just silly. Which is kind of which is dumb, but like yeah, I guess if you have the technology, <laughs> you, you might as well. But then they're talking about like oh, we're going to use it in military applications, and I'm like, why? You have drones that can do all right. the stuff you want a Velociraptor to do, and more. but better. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It's it would be like strapping a camera on a literal cheetah and then sending the right. cheetah to exactly. go kill like Taliban. It, it makes, makes no sense. sense. Anyways, again, I'm going yeah. off on the Jurassic World. <laughs> now, movie. here's the thing. OK, why did the why did the Arliss Howard crew save Vince Vaughn? Like when they were hanging by the cliff, wouldn't they be like, hey, these are the three people that destroyed all our equipment. They let all the dinosaurs. Oh, like, oh yeah, kill yeah, them. Yeah, just cut the rope. <laughs> you know, no one's gonna know. I think. Well, I mean, it's not him that's doing it because it, it's Pete Postlethwaite's character, and I think he is a very like honor-driven yeah, character. So I think he's like, even though I hate these people, yeah. and we don't see eye to eye, I'm still gonna There's help still them. Sort of thing. So I can, yeah, I kind of get it, but I also see where you're coming from because Arliss Howard is the one leading the the mm-hmm. group. So you think he would just get like a pair of hedge clippers and cut the right. rope, but <laughs> or just just leave them there. I guess if Pete Postlethwaite got there first, right. maybe he was the reason. I don't know. That never. I never really thought about that before. I just thought about it today because, like, why? Like, I'm like these guys. They should be. They didn't even seem mad at them. They weren't even like, "Hey, you're this." Like, there's a few throwaway lines, but they're a lot less mad than I would be if someone destroyed all the equipment. I'm more mad when they like they have a chance to kill the T Rex that's murdering everyone, and Vince Vaughn takes. Yes, the Vince Vaughn is the like the villain gun. of this movie. <laughs> Vince Vaughn is a he horrible is. guy. Yeah, he, he's the reason everyone dies in this movie. Yes. like and he doesn't die, which bothers me. And then he me. disappears. Like, it was weird because I, I just when the movie. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll get into this too. The movie should have been over. It should have ended. But then they did that weird tack on San Diego scene. That was yeah, that was a last minute that was a last minute thing that Spielberg decided to add. It was like as they were filming. I uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about the San Diego scene. If yeah, it feels like it's set up for a sequel or something. Right. And it was just the, the they did it without the girl. Kelly, she's not there. Oh, thank God. I hate her, but... <laughs> See, Kelly didn't bother me as much as Lex and Tim. Really? Oh, man. I'm I'm the opposite. I find her so annoying. Like, the, ho- the whole movie, she contributes nothing. She shouldn't have been there. Yeah, there's no, there's no reason for her no. to be there, and she's just, like, she's so whiny. She I don't know. She's, like, the whole time, she's, like... Dad, don't leave me. Don't leave me, Dad. I'm, Dad, I'm scared, Dad. And I'm just like, shut up. <laughs> like, you you, you chose to be yeah. here. <laughs> Suffer the consequences. Like uh. For me, the part of her character, though, was when Julianne Moore and Vince Vaughn are, like, um, op- what, what are they? They're putting the splints on the baby dinosaur. Instead of her being like, oh, save him, she's like, we got to get out of here. The other ones are going to hear this thing crying and are going to come and attack us. And I thought like, okay, that's like a, that's like the best line in the movie because there's finally someone with some common sense. Because I just was like watching the scene thinking like, why do Vince Vaughn and Julianne Moore put – put why are they putting themselves in danger to put – like, okay, this is nature. Things break their legs in nature. Okay, yeah, if the thing gets picked off by a predator, 
fine. The T-Rex can have another child. You know, like that's just, you know, th there's so many things wrong with we have to save this little guy that just didn't make sense. Like, why? Like, it's the apex predator on the island. Yeah. Why would Vince Vaughn and Julianne Moore risk themselves to do that? What bugs me, too, is they they set up earlier in the movie that Julianne Moore is like, <clears throat> she's like a predatory animal behavior right. specialist or something like that. Like, she's worked with lions and cheetahs and stuff, so she knows what these things are capable right. of. But yet she does she does this kind of stuff knowing what they're capable exactly. of doing to her. And later in the movie, she keeps her bloodied jacket like in the tent with her. And I'm like, why would she not just ditch right, that right. in the woods? Like, like she knows what these animals are like. She knows that they can sniff out their own blood sure. or whatever. Like she should have, she should have out of everyone here more than anyone else. She should have known exactly. that this would be a problem for her. And yet she keeps it in the tent. Like, Normally I can excuse, like in, if I'm watching a horror movie and a character is like a teenager and they do something yeah. stupid, I'm like, well, they're 17. Like, yeah, they're going to do stupid stuff. But this is like a 30-something-year-old a person with a doctorate right. <laughs> in animal whatever, right. uh, like zoology or something. So when she does something stupid in her own field, I I can't forget exactly. it. Like it, exactly. It, it sounds like I'm, I'm making like a... Uh, a cinema sins. It sounds like a cinema sins thing, yeah. but it, it's it's honestly something that's always like irked me yeah. when I'm watching this movie. I'm like, I can't justify no. her doing something that stupid that puts the entire camp at risk. If it was another character that did yeah, it, yeah, if that the just girl had did it better, just out of ignorance, yeah, she's a little kid. Yeah, like if if Kelly got blood on her pants, or, or Vince Vaughn did it because he's it. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I think Vince Vaughn should have died, and Kelly should have just not been. Kelly shouldn't have been in the movie. Like Kelly was a very Kelly was a very necessary character. Vince Vaughn, they should have acknowledged more what a what a what a, that he was a bad guy, um, doing very bad things. Yeah, and then killed him at the end, like have him eaten by raptors. Exactly. Yeah, because you ever um, I see this was in the red letter red letter media review when uh, of the of I guess the the newest Jurassic World. And I guess it's, you know how, I guess these movies are all soft reboots of this. That's the soft reboot of Lost World. And they find out there's another island, the Volcano Islands. And I guess there's some, you know, there's some uh, environmental group that's like, uh, no, we can't let them die. We have to go save them. When really in real life, the idea would be like, genetically engineered fake animals they should let nature let nature take its course and let them die, which they should. But he's the Jay from Red Letter Media. He said he wished he turned it into a turned it into one of those uh, like what's the Eli Roth movie um, Green Inferno, where you have all these like activist kids like yeah, let's go save the natives, and then the natives like eat them. So it's sort of like yeah, let's go save the dinosaurs, <laughs> and then they all get, they get eaten by yeah, dinosaurs. That eaten. I think would be a funny kind of thing, you know. The whole Vince Vaughn putting every person at yeah. risk. Vince Vaughn has so much blood on his hands in this movie. You could almost attribute every death to him. Yeah, and there's no retribution no. to him whatsoever. Like the movie, the movie is almost has this weird like faux environmentalist uh, message, I guess, of like being okay with what happened. But then at the same time, 
like we've said, it causes all the deaths, so it's kind of anti-environmentalist as well. So it's kind of weirdly sitting in the middle where it doesn't, it wants to play both sides. It's like you have to pick either make him the villain and kind of make fun of environmentalists or be completely like actually for the environmentalists. I mean, a, a real environmentalist would be like, okay, we have Vicilloraptors on this island. That's bad because they're going to outcompete all the tigers and jaguars or whatever animal lives in Central America. And all those animals are going to die because no, they can't compete with these, these um, genetically engineered predators. No environmentalist would be like, no, we have to protect the Vicilloraptors. That's just so unrealistic. In, in any stretch of the imagination. No, you know, invasive species all over the world, environmentalists, basically their job is to find out ways to kill them and get rid of them. It's never been to, well, we, you know, all animals are beautiful. We must save them all. That's, that's not, that is not an environmentalist role. You know, they, they, they kill animals because they love animals. I guess is part of, part of their, their thing, you know. You, it, yeah, there's an episode of Futurama where, there's like penguins on Pluto and then they become an invasive species. There's like millions of penguins and these environmentalists that go there with Leela are suddenly like, well, we got to kill them all. And they grab like rifles right. and they immediately like switch. So <laughs> I, I guess you're right. I guess there uh, or Futurama was right. At least. About, yeah. Have you ever uh, seen a lionfish? A lionfish is a beautiful, beautiful animal, but lionfish are invasive to Florida reefs. They, um, they outcompete the other fish, and because of them, grouper population is declining. And it's a, like I used to fish a lot in Florida. It's a law. If you catch one, you have to kill it. You cannot throw it back. Oh yeah, we have we have the same thing in Lake Erie. Oh yeah, the Great Lakes are full of like sort of shellfish too. There's certain forms of yeah, like uh, uh, zebra, zebra mussels, mussels yeah. come in on like on lakers, and they're everywhere. and there's some weird catfish <laughs> there, some Asian catfish that that escaped somehow. Yeah, I think there there's a mm-hmm. bunch. I think now there's like a, a Asian beetle that's in all the trees. Right, here. exactly. Yeah, it's it's out of control. So yeah, I I see definitely where you're coming from. Um, my problem watching The Lost World was I feel like there it was the potential for a very good sequel here that was directed by somebody else yeah. <laughs> and made as like made as an R-rated, uh, excuse me, monster movie with no kids in it that took itself a lot more seriously than the first Jurassic Park. If they had done something like that, this might actually be considered better than the yeah, first Jurassic Park. Yeah, it could have been. I feel I feel like the bones the bones of a very good movie were there. Yeah. So I was like frustrated watching it because I kept thinking about like oh I would cut this I would change that I would change the ending I would m- remove this character I would have this person die like I kept thinking about the things I would yes. do different to make it work. And if a movie is terrible, I don't think about that stuff. Yeah, it's just that's bad. True. And if it's great, I don't think about that stuff either because it it's good. Like it yeah, works. you're happy with that. But here I was like. Here, like, my inner screenwriter brain turned on, and I kept thinking of ways to improve the movie, and I'm like, stop it. It's already, it was made 30 years ago or whatever. <laughs> like, right. nothing I can do is going to improve this film. It already exists, but it's just frustrating because it's, like, so close. It's like a C or C-minus movie that could have been, like, an A or an A-minus. 
with like a few adjustments. Did you see? Um, did you see the brown face? I didn't like. I was when I was. I said that character looks odd, and they're calling him Ajay and uh, uh, RJ or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought it was RJ when I was I like the letters so R and J too. when I was. And I guess there's. And then I, <laughs> you know, then when I was looking up different characters in Wikipedia and stuff just to see what else they've been in or whatever. And I was like, hey, that's just like a white British guy. Really? With brown makeup. Oh. Yeah. That was, they just went pure brown face in that role. And I guess there's a deleted scene where he and Pete Postlewaite meet in a bar and he's decked out in like full Indian yeah. attire. Yeah. I, you know, I did not know that he was not an Indian person. I really didn't. That's, even by late 90s standards, that's not really okay. No, right. Like, this movie's 97, which is yeah. around the time where like, they're like, yeah. You know, like that's when people like acknowledge Short Circuit Two and stuff as being you know, really yeah. obnoxiously racist and stuff. You know. Yeah, I did not know that that was a, a thing. That's interesting. I, it's interesting that you brought up the uh, uh, the deleted scene too, because I watched this movie on TV as a kid oh, at okay. one point, and the TV version reincorporates that and another deleted scene at like a, a boardroom meeting in India. Oh, okay. Uh, back into the movie. Uh, so I, for the longest time, I thought those were part of the movie, and then I watched it on DVD and was like, where's the scene with Pete Postlethwaite at the right. bar? It's weird. Uh, but I, I was I was going to say I actually really like that scene. Like, it's rare that I watch a deleted scene and I'm like, I wish they kept this. I'm usually like, no, cut, cut as much as you can. <laughs> Most movies are too long. Like, they should cut more stuff out of movies. But this, I was like, I kind of wish they kept this in the movie. I, I like Pete Postlethwaite more than any of the other characters. Yeah. I think it was a, a funny scene. I like that they gave him a proper introduction right. rather than he just kind of shows up on the island. But again, I think he just wanted to get to the yeah. island as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think of things that I thought like legitimately worked about the Lost World. I think the San Diego stuff didn't bother me as much as it bothered you. I just thought the movie should have been over by that point. Because like I said, I've watched this is the first time I've ever seen that. And then I knew the San Diego stuff existed because I think that was even in the trailer, the, the Tyrannosaurus looking into the bedroom. But I was like, wow, this movie kind of had a natural ending and didn't need it. You know, just it felt very, very... You know, and next week on Jurassic Park kind of thing, you know, it just seems so like trailer mm. for the next movie or something. It would have been anticlimactic without it, though. Like they would have if they didn't include that, they would have needed to include another action scene like as they're escaping or like have like the pterodactyls. Because I think in the book or in one of the other Jurassic Park movies, the idea was to have pterodactyls attacking their helicopter right, right. as they're escaping or something. Maybe a Jurassic Park 3 was supposed to have a scene like that or something. And I guess they felt they had to kill Arliss Howard, too. Yeah, like you need you need that like uh, that closure, I guess, like the comeuppance for his character kind of thing. But yeah, I think Spielberg just thought like it would be fun to have a dinosaur in the mm -hmm. city. What are what kinds of things can I do with that? And um, all of the King Kong references mm -hmm. that, that he does he with it. He wanted homage Godzilla. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the Godzilla homage with the Japanese people, like, running away from the mm -hmm. dinosaur. Uh, the ship that it comes in on is the SS Venture, which is the ship from King Kong. Right. And there's that scene in the blockbuster video. I don't know if you noticed that, where there's, like, a King Lear 
poster starring Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, from Last Action Hero. <laughs> that was clever. And there's a there's another poster. I never noticed it until this time watching it. But if you look in the foreground, there's a different poster that's called like it's like a surfing movie starring Tom Hanks. <laughs> it's like Tom Hanks and surfs up or something like that or, or surfing San Diego or something. And also another cameo that uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but the guy who gets eaten in the middle of the street is David Kep, the screen. Yes, I read that. I read that in a review. I didn't know that, but I read that. Oh, who was Eli Roth? You told me Eli Roth is in this movie. Yeah, he's if you look on the subway at the beginning of the movie when when and uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum is riding on the subway. Eli Roth is kind of like standing next to him. Really, it, You can only see him for like two seconds oh, okay. in a wide shot. <laughs> I think if you Google like Eli Roth, the lost yeah, world, you'll, you'll see, see the, the yeah. shot and someone with like a circle around him. Um, but yeah, he's he's in it. He's an extra. He doesn't have any lines. <laughs> he's just on set. But yeah, I guess. Our verdict overall would be like for me, I would say Jurassic Park holds up definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the Lost World, the Lost World is weird because I used to like it and then not like it. And then I kind of liked it again. And now watching it again, I don't like it. It doesn't really hold up. See, yeah, I would agree with you. I would say even though I have problems with the first movie, it still holds up as a very entertaining movie. Now, and when it came out. Yeah. Those special effects are cutting edge. Today's audience might just look at those dinosaurs and be like, okay, okay, whatever. But for 1993... I think the special effects hold up in terms of the fact that they're not... You don't see them that long. True. (laughs) They're they're actually... Which is something that struck me watching it again. I was like, oh, I thought they showed the dinosaurs a lot longer. They don't. They're very quick shots. Um, There's maybe five minutes total of, like, CGI... Uh, scenes in the entire movie. Like if you actually add all the CGI together in this film, it's probably it's it would be less than ten minutes of like a two hours and seven sure. minute movie. So they don't actually they don't actually show that much CGI, and they did a good job of matching the CGI that they do mm-hmm. show uh, to the animatronics yeah. that they were using as yeah, well. That was great. Te- technically, that doesn't look antiquated at all. Technically, that doesn't look like you're watching something twenty. 20- what, 30 years old? Yeah. The second one looks more antiquated yes. because they show yes. it more. Because they, they make the the same mistake they made in, like, the Jaws sequels yes. where they show too much of the exactly. shark. Here they're showing too much of, like, the T-Rexes and stuff. And you get a closer mm-hmm. look at it and you're like, oh, that is very clearly <laughs> CGI. Yes. Like, I can see the textures on the skin and stuff. It gives you too long of a time to look at it. First Jurassic Park, it's like you just get to see it enough to go, ooh, wow, amazing, and then it yeah, cuts very, away. very, very, <laughs> very well before done. Your, before your brain is able to analyze it. See, I think the Lost World is a little interesting in that as far, as far as holding up, I don't know if there's anyone nostalgic towards the Lost World. I don't know how many people out there are being like, yeah, you know, the Lost World. That There is, though. Oh, really? I was going to okay. say, like, uh, yeah, like uh, Chris Stuckman, for example, is – is like a huge Lost World fan. I think he gave it an A minus. So I think a lot of people that are around my age that grew up in like the Space Jam era (laughs) of the 90s, a lot of them, some of them like Lost World more than the first Jurassic Park. Because I think they probably saw it. You see Jurassic Park when you're like five or six. 
And like, yeah, it's scary at that time, but then you kind of grow out of it. And then The Lost World comes out four years later. You're like 9, 10, 11, and it's like edgier and freakier yeah. and darker. And I think for a lot of boys growing up in the 90s, they connected with it more. I guess on the pure monster movie level, it's fine. Once you start thinking about characters, motivations, then it's, it really falls apart. Really yeah, quick. yeah. In in terms of just like death scenes, I think it holds up. Yeah, it has some really yeah. good, intense like PG thirteen death scenes. Uh, I I complained earlier about Peter Stormare's scene just yeah, goes that was, on that was and about, on and <laughs> on. Like it lasted way too long. I think. He, he could have just died and, and as soon as the copies show up, they could have just chased him over a log and yeah. he dies. Like, it I don't really know should why. have been the one and he laughs it off and yeah. then the group come and then that's his comeuppance. But the, um, the scene, the trailer scene, yeah. I thought that was like, it went on too long because it kind of like, it kind of like, okay, now this, and now this happened. And the shot of the trailer falling through them in my, and all I thought of like in my mind, like that's dumb. There's no way that thing's going to fall and not touch any three people holding together in a rope. Like, it's this tiny little trailer. There wasn't even enough room for them to stand. But, like, whatever. Suspension of disbelief. I don't care about that. That scene actually was... The tension was good. It held my attention the whole time, the whole 15 minutes. And I did not expect... Um, I don't remember the actor's name, but Eddie. I did not expect him to die just because he was so heroic. So, I, you know, even though I'll be like, yeah, it's kind of messed up that, like, Hammond lives and that guy dies from a movie sense... Just from the viewer sense, I gotta say, like a surprise death is always is always welcome, you know. And like, sort of like, you, it was almost like a, a subverting yeah. the trope of like the hero getting um, the hero not getting, you know. I, you think he'd be like arm in arm with everyone, like, wow, you, you did so much to save us, you, you know. And then instead, he gets torn in half. So, and like you said, the death itself was pretty much an <laughs> epic death. So. Um, you know, I, I, I actually appreciate that, <laughs> like kind of looking at it. Yeah, that uh, I will agree that that scene does nothing to move the no, plot it forward, but it might be my favorite scene in that movie just because it's so perfectly executed. That's probably the scene that Spielberg had the most fun yes. shooting. Like, it just seems like he was coming up with ideas on the set, like, oh, what if she falls and then the, I, the glass is yes. about to break and... Then the thing falls through them and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I had I was the same thing. Like I was I was that was the one part where my eyes were actually glued Me to too. the screen. Me as too. soon as that scene ended, I was like on my phone, Me too. on my computer. Like I thought the other scene was kind of boring. The this, the bi- the other big action sequence, the stampede into the long grass. I wasn't a big fan of that. I like the there's one really cool shot where they're walking through the tall grass and you see the raptors approaching through the grass and it's like an overhead mm-hmm. shot. I just I always thought that was a cool way to like uh, build dramatic irony, mm-hmm. I guess, like as, as an audience member, you're like, oh, no, they're yeah. coming. But they don't know that the raptors are coming. But no one of consequence gets eaten by no. the raptors in that scene. There's a bunch of random people who we've never seen before. There's that one black guy who's like holding a lantern mm-hmm. and and he gets like a hero yeah, moment. He gets, the close he gets up. like a close-up of going and, and I'm like, who yeah. is this guy? I've not seen him throughout the entire film. What happened to the cowboy hat guy? Do, do, do you remember the cowboy hat, long red-haired guy? What happened to him? He he gets the snake like going down his shirt when he's in the when they're hiding behind oh, the yeah, waterfall. Yeah, okay. And then he's like, ah, a snake. And then he goes 
just barely outside of the waterfall and the T-Rex grabs him. That's right, that's right. Because I was trying to remember if he had survived. Because he kind of like built him up to be someone. I don't know, does he even get a name? They kind of built him up like as he's somebody, but. Yeah, he's, I think his name is Burke. And they mention him as like, when they're they're talking about um, paleontologists, I don't know if it's in, in the Lost World or if it's actually in Jurassic Park when the little kid is talking about paleontologists. One of them mentions a paleontologist named Burke. Oh, okay, so that's and it. that's that guy. He's he's like I think he's supposed to be Alan Grant's rival, actually. So InGen hires him because they can't get Alan Grant, and he's the one who comes and like explains what all the dinosaurs oh, okay. are and stuff. I guess it's the same with like Peter Stormare, because like I guess you expect you see this actor who you recognize, who's been you know he's been the main star, but then he's sort of like a throwaway character, you know. Yeah, he should have been, I don't know, he should have had more to do or just not been in it. I think Spielberg cast him because he liked him in Fargo, yeah, which is which is fine. And I love Peter Stormare. I think he's I think a he's great, great actor, too. but like do something with they him. They probably should like have had said, a lot less hunters and just had the group of hunters be like the long haired guy, Peter Stormare, Peter Postulate. Um, I just butchered his name. I don't know how to say it either, so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> but yeah, there there needed to be less people, I think, in yeah. the group. There was too many just like throwaway people. That or kill the throwaway people. Yeah, they could have done that. They could have like, killed off a lot of the throwaway <laughs> people, like in the rounding up dinosaur scene, maybe or something. So then in your class, you only have yeah, the ones you I'm, know. What I'm thinking of is like if Jurassic Park is alien and this movie is trying to be like the aliens to Jurassic Park's alien and with like more dinosaurs, more people and the people are more effective to actually hunt the dinosaurs. uh, I I think you needed to like aliens does immediately kind of uh, cut off these people's uh, power. Yeah, exactly. In the, the first like beginning of the second act, yeah. I guess, to kind of show how impotent they are. Yeah, show how powerful it is. Like, yeah, exactly. At the same time, though, I think it would have been cool if they actually were able to successfully kill some of the dinosaurs. Yeah, like they're They have all these guys who seem like they're effective, like hunter dudes with like motorcycles mm-hmm, and right. guns and stuff. And not a single dinosaur no. dies throughout the whole movie. I would have liked a little bit more uh, dino damage, as right. it were, like actually show them shooting a few of the raptors. But, the, you know, one raptor breaks through. And right. Kills like, yeah, the, the raptors just because they're a pack animal. And I guess in the how pack animals sort of hunt in real life, they expect to lose a few of their number. Like when you watch those nature shows, like wild dog yeah. versus lion, the wild dogs understand they might lose one or two to the lion but eventually they'll just overwhelm them with sheer numbers, you know? Yeah. So it would have been cool to see, like, actually killing a few dinosaurs, yeah. as mean as that sounds. But like you said, they're genetically yeah, They're not real animals. They're not like, real I don't, animals. I, so. I just don't feel, I feel, <laughs> and I'm an animal guy. I, I'm the guy who doesn't watch, I'm the guy who doesn't watch certain movies because I know the dog dies. But then I watched this movie and I'm like, okay, these aren't real. Like, and I'm like, okay, obviously dogs doesn't really, really die in movies. But you know what I mean? Not only these are not, like, I know these are puppets. And I know even within the movie universe, these aren't real. These are just genetically created. Yeah. You know? It'd be like if someone, someone, like, created some species 
and put it on a game preserve so he could hunt them. I wouldn't really feel anything. But when I watch people like <laughs> hunting rhinos, yeah. I feel terrible and I want the people to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Because rhinos are real, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we have successfully fixed a 25-year-old movie <laughs> that no one needed yeah. us to fix. But, like, again, I feel like this movie had uh, a lot of potential that was just uh, kind of unfulfilled. Yeah. So it's a little bit disappointing. But it is what it is. Um and now, did you get a chance to watch Jurassic Park 3 as well, or did you just I just stop? I just heard so many bad things about that movie, and I've seen the, the, the nostalgia critic oh, okay. review of it, and it looks kind of annoying, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't hate Jurassic Park 3 as much as everyone else right. does. I get, In some ways, I like it more than The Lost World, if only because Lost World is like two hours and nine minutes or something. And Jurassic Park three is like a 92 minute movie. It's so short that it's like, it's like mercifully short. Like, even if you think it's dumb, it's over before you know it anyways. (laughs) Whereas the lost world is still kind of dumb, but like, it's so It is way too (laughs) long. But yeah, by the time you get to the last act in San Diego, you're like, okay, just end like, the first Jurassic Park is almost the same length, but it's so perfectly yes, paced that it doesn't 100%. feel nearly as long. It's only two minutes shorter, but it feels like it's 15 yes. minutes shorter. I didn't, I, like I said, I don't love the Jurassic Park movie, but I, I, I do like it in, on rewatch. And I just uh, the pacing is perfect. Yeah, it has that nice little nice little break around midway through the second act where they're like in the tree. Yeah. And Laura Dern is talking to John Hammond and then it kind of goes back into the action. Yeah. Like it's, it has those nice kind of ups and downs that you don't, the lost world doesn't really have ups and downs with its pacing. It just has like starts and right, stops. Exactly. It just stops moving forward completely. And then all of a sudden it picks up really, really quickly. And then it stops yeah, again. That's so. true. And just in the movie sense, you feel like in the first one, you're like, okay, you have characters, you have their goals you understand what's in the way of their goals. The other one, it's like they kind of manufacture so many things. Like, yeah, well, the communication tower is in the workers' village close to where the raptors live. But it's, I just felt like there's other ways they could have got off the islands. Um, like, I think one character is like, why don't we just go to the coast and wait for our captain to come pick us up? And he's like, well, we're right out in the open. It's like, well, yeah, if the raptors aren't hunting there, if they're in the long, you know, if like you're not really in danger from these other yeah. vegetable eating dinosaurs. Well, that or like I said earlier, it would have been the perfect setup to be like, we have to go to this village and there's tons of raptors around there. Here's a gun for everyone. Yeah, true. <laughs> and we're going to have to hunt these raptors. And it would have been a really cool setup for like a us versus them, like. They kill some of the raptors exactly. and the raptors kill some of them kind yeah, of scene. I would have liked that more. Yeah, the movie plays the the movie plays some weird referent reverence to the dinosaurs where it's like it doesn't want to kill the dinosaurs. And I think that's weird. And I guess it probably is because they want to sell toys to little kids. And I, that's the only thing I can think of. But then the the those toys, I don't know if you remember this, but the Jurassic Park toys usually had like a little chunk of flesh that came off of it. Like <laughs> Like they were going to get shot or something. It was called dino damage. That's what I was referencing earlier when I mentioned dino (laughs) damage. Um, And every single person I knew who had a Jurassic Park toy, the little chunk on the side was missing. Like nobody 
it, it wound up going in the laundry or falling into a garbage can <laughs> or something. Like, if you have a Jurassic Park toy and it still has the dino damage, like, attached it's to money. it, uh, it's probably, yeah, it's probably worth a lot more. It's <laughs> like having a G.I. Joe with, like, the missiles still in the, the tank or whatever. Um, but then, like I said, that never happens in the movie. Right. None, None of, of the dinosaurs get, get even yeah. injured. Unless, unless they get each other. <laughs> Except the baby T-Rex. Exactly. Unless they hurt each other. Um, yeah, they they cause mutual dino damage, but the humans, like the Jurassic Park toys all had like guns and hang gliders and shit. And like they never do anything that cool in the movie. They're just running away from the dinosaurs the whole time. All right, this movie's 93. I, I like if you look back at like, I don't know what the, what other big fran- Terminator maybe like there's other big franchises then. But this was, I think, like by far yeah. the biggest in terms of. Like toys and pillows and and lunch boxes and all that sort of industry. And I remember yeah. very clearly there was a uh, there's an ad that used to run. And there's a because like you know whenever there's a big thing like this, you know the, some some markets create counterfeit goods. You know, flood them in Chinatown, flood them in flood them in cities. And um, there's this number. Oh yeah. Like it was like one eight hundred Dynacop. Where if you saw someone selling counterfeit Jurassic Park, what? you could call this hotline. <laughs> and I'm thinking, even as a little kid, I'm thinking, oh, a little 15, 16, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, hey, you know what? I spent my seven bucks to watch your movie. Our relationship is done here. I'm not going to be out there playing Vigilante <laughs> looking for people's counterfeit yeah. dinosaurs. <laughs> you know? Me and you, Steven, you only made three billion dollars you know i'm not gonna go out there snitching on someone selling a plastic dinosaur <laughs> yeah to to like feed their yeah, exactly. poor vietnamese immigrant exactly. family or whatever like <laughs> and i just imagine like some like tourists like in chinatown in new york city like oh look at that honey that looks like it's unlicensed dino you know we better call the hotline oh, yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. But yeah, I do remember like all the merchandise and stuff. I never had any, but the cousin who I watched the movie with was a lot more Mm -hmm. into it. And he had a bunch of the uh, action figures and plush toys and stuff like that, which some of those actually, I think all of the things that are in the Jurassic Park gift shop that they show in the movie were like real things that they sold after the movie. That's weird. Yeah, which is kind of weird. weird. You don't you don't see that a lot because I remember he had one of those. He had like a Stegosaurus, uh, like plush toy that he used to sleep with that night, uh, and it's in that gift right. shop. It's like <laughs> one of the plush toys that they're actually selling. So, were you into dinosaurs as a kid? Uh, not as much as I was into outer space. Okay. I was always more of a space person, but I liked dinosaurs. Yeah. I thought they were cool. Um, more when I was younger, when I was like kindergarten, I was really into dinosaurs. And then when I got a little bit older, like eight or nine, I got into like Star Wars and uh, astronomy and learning about uh, space and stuff like that. I remember thinking some of them were kind of cool, like Triceratops and the one with the spikes on it and stuff as a little kid. But I'm pretty sure by the time this movie came out, I was well past that phase of... You know, of like Timmy, Timmy in the movie is like really into dinosaurs. I was probably more like Lex in the movie. Like, yeah, whatever. They, they were, they're pretty cool, but they're extinct and, you know, so be it. <laughs> but um, I remember yeah, there's enough. a few dinosaurs 
that I think appear in the sequels, in a, you know, for, for maybe just for just to create realism, they don't use them in the first two. They, I guess they use the stegosaurus, spinosaurus? Spinosaurus, I guess, is a major part of part three, just from what I saw on, on Wikipedia. I am, and like, now that you say it's 90 minutes, I almost just want to watch it just to, just to conclude the trilogy, I guess. But I really don't want to watch the new ones. Yeah, there's some good action scenes in the third movie. There's a lot of stuff that was like cut out of the first two. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like in the script oh, or yeah. like storyboarded or whatever and they just never filmed yeah. it and they put it in the third movie. There's a really good scene with like pterodactyls where they go into like the pterodactyl cage okay. kind of area and they get attacked by pterodactyls I, I think is is actually pretty good. And then, uh, yeah, they establish like the Spinosaurus is like the new big bad guy and he like kills the T-Rex in the first half hour of the okay. movie and then... He's chasing them throughout the film. That's kind of cool. So, yeah. And they also show, I think, uh, in the third one, they show male raptors as well as female raptors. And the males have, like, little feathers coming out oh, of yeah, their heads yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah, I read that. So, yeah, I don't know. There's some interesting stuff in the third movie. But there's some definitely some stupid moments <laughs> as well. Like, uh, I won't... I won't sugarcoat it and say it's a masterpiece. I just think I enjoy it slightly more than I enjoy the second movie. It just moves along faster. I like the characters a little bit more. Um, William H. Macy is in it. He's great. Oh, he's always great. (laughs) Weirdly, it was uh, written or co-written by Alexander Payne. So... It has, like, some of his, like, sense of humor kind of thrown into it. Okay. Like, James Gunn has a bunch of scripts out there that kind of, like, like, huh, James Gunn wrote this. But some of them were, like, old scripts that then get repurposed. Yeah, like the, the Scooby-Doo yeah. movies. He he wrote the first Scooby-Doo movie as, like, a joke when he was in college, I think. He wrote, like, an R-rated Scooby-Doo right. where, like, they have sex with each other and they're smoking weed and stuff. And then the studio took it and, like, cut out all the R-rated right. parts of it and made it, like, a PG. Anyways, I think, I don't know, I think that's all we have to yeah. say about I think Jurassic so Park. <laughs> I, I enjoyed my watching. You know, it definitely wasn't a, it wasn't a chore, you know? It was a, it was, a, it, I, yeah. I think I enjoyed it more than watching the Space Jam movie um, to compare it to what else. Oh, yeah, and definitely. The, I, let's see, well, that's actually, okay, we had the Batmans. The Space Jams and now the Jurassic Parks. I would say, I would say this was probably the most like the the funnest. You know, the Batman's were fine. I just got a little bit bored in, in parts. I didn't really get the pay, like you said, the pacing is so good in the first one that you don't get bored. And then the second one, it's so flawed anyway. You don't get bored because you're kind of seeing how like how much better it could be if you did this and this and this. Um, so yeah, it was a fun watch. It was a fun watch. Um, I think I, I think I probably enjoyed watching the Batmans a little bit more because it's been so long since I've seen mm-hmm. them. Jurassic Park, the first one I watched almost on a yearly ah, basis. Okay. Like the, yeah. the last time I watched it was like maybe nine months ago uh, or something. <laughs> I was showing it. Over, I was doing a Netflix party and like showing it to my girlfriend at the time. How long was it for me? Uh, 1993 till today or till yesterday. 21 plus... 28 years since I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, so yeah, for me, it hasn't even been 28 months, but 
I enjoy watching it every time that I do watch it, which is why I watch it so often. But the sequels are like every three or four years, I'll just be like, well, I watched Jurassic Park, so I might as well watch two and three. (laughs) Yeah, the first one I do, it's I have about 15, 20 movies that I do like every year. And Jurassic Park is is one of those. And then there's like the the Star Wars trilogy, the Sandlot is one of them, the Princess Bride. They're just like comfort movies for me that I'm like, I don't know. They just make me feel good. So I watch them regularly. (laughs) See, here I'm now by myself uh, uh, talking to myself. That's that's chaos there. Anyway, speaking of watching, what have you been uh, watching or enjoying in your uh, since we've spoken last, I watched the Righteous Gemstones, which I think was like eight episode HBO with um, Danny Danny McBride show, Walter Goggins. Um, I've pretty much loved everything that they've done together on HBO. I really loved the Eastbound and Down. I really love Vice Principals. Uh, John Goodman was in this too. I uh, really liked it. Uh, oh, and also the guy you like, Adam Adam Divine. Adam Divine, yeah. I've been meaning to to get around to watching it. It was really good. I enjoyed enjoyed it. It was a really fast, fun watch. Um, I watched Grand Piano on your recommendation. Enjoyed it. Because I I wanted to try to find something that was uh, Whiplash-esque. Right. (laughs) And that was the only thing I could find that I was like, well, it's the same writer and it's about (laughs) music, a musician. So I thought it might be similar and but I had never seen it, so that was also something I watched this week. Was yeah, Grand Piano I liked it. And uh, same thing, like not yeah. perfect, but I en- I enjoy all these all these little movies that um, Daniel Radcliffe and Elijah Wood keep making all these little like weird hour yeah. and a half like indie uh, <laughs> like horror comedies yeah. and stuff like that. Like they keep making these these really weird low budget movies, even though they were both in two of the biggest right. budget like franchises of all time. So yeah, I, I, anything that they're in, that's like a weird, uh, like Daniel Radcliffe was in Swiss army man, which was I great. Like um, and then, uh, Elijah Wood was in like, I was going to say that. I was going to say, I hope you saw cooties. Cooties is fun. Cooties is so fun. So yeah, they, they, they keep making these interesting movies that I, even if they're flawed, yeah. I still enjoy them. And Grand Piano kind of fell into that category. It's it's 90 minutes, but really only like 82 minutes with right, credits. Exactly. Um, yeah, it was a fun little like suspense yeah. movie, basically. Oh, I started watching Search Party. Um, so far, I like it. Oh, nice. Another thing that's on my, on my crave.ca List. <laughs> I, I unfortunately have had to start watching it out of order though, because the the service I used starts at season two, so I'm gonna have to f- download one. Oh, um, weird. I guess maybe because it was on TBS or something, and they didn't have a proper rights to it. Oh, but maybe. I found a way to figure it out. So I'm gonna I'll just go. But I've already watched a couple episodes of season two, so I'll just watch backwards. It's the kind of show; it doesn't really matter. It's easy to. It's very easy to pick up the characters and stuff. I love Aaliyah Shawkat; she's always great. And it has the, the one actor in it. What's his name? <clears throat> John Early, I think his name is. He always kind of plays the same character, very flamboyant, um, obnoxious guy. He's really good at it. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. Yeah, you see him on some like like, so, again, some of like HBO and sort of sort of shows. I think he's in some Netflix shows too. Yeah, I've just been. I haven't really started anything new this uh, last couple of weeks. I've. 
I've been watching Loki on Disney oh. Plus. I guess that's good? new. I like it actually. I think I like it the most out of all of the Disney Plus uh, Marvel okay. series. Uh, it's the the weirdest. It's the most like Guardians of the Galaxy esque. Oh. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy, but with time travel instead of like space travel. Now, are these shows part? Because these shows are all about dead characters, right? Because isn't Vision dead in real life? Not real life, but dead in the universe. And Loki's dead in the universe. But they still they're, they're still pretty important. It's not like the Daredevil series or whatever, mm-hmm. where it's kind of happening in its own yeah. pocket of the universe. Like the Disney Plus series are are still very important to like the overall arc of the Marvel okay. universe and they're they're a lot shorter like each one is only maybe 8 to 10 episodes so you can get through it a lot oh, faster cool. than you could like a Daredevil like or seasons. something like that <laughs> if if you if you choose to watch them yeah but yeah, I like Loki the most and then probably followed by WandaVision. I like that WandaVision did the whole like each episode is going for like a different sitcom style and like it goes through the decades. So like one episode is doing like I Love Lucy and then they jump into the 70s and it's like Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. And then at one point they do like a, a Malcolm in the Middle homage. So, yeah, that was a Clever. lot of fun. And then I enjoyed I enjoyed Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but I probably still put it in last place only because it feels like it could have been a movie. Like it's a little bit too long, but I I think you could have cut it down to like a two and a half hour Marvel movie and it would have been fine. Like there's not a compelling reason to have it be like a 10 part uh, miniseries. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. I watched uh, Black Widow yesterday with my sister. I think she was more excited to see it than I was. (laughs) Um, uh, I I enjoyed it. I would like compare it to an episode of a TV show that's inconsequential to the overall show but still a fun episode okay. if that makes sense like you know how there's some community episodes that aren't like the super memorable like paintball episodes or whatever but it, they take like a funny class in it or something like it's still a good well-written episode that's kind of how i felt about black okay. widow it's like this is still a competently made like a uh, spy thriller kind of movie but it's really inconsequential to the overall right. like mcu arc like you you could not watch it and still know what's going on when you go to see whatever the next uh marvel movie is i think you'll be fine i think it would have it would have definitely been better had it come out in like 2016 or 2017 when the film actually takes place because it's like a because spoiler she dies in sure Endgame. of course so this is like taking place in between, uh, I think it's in between Civil War and Yeah, Endgame. I've read that, yeah. So it would have been a better movie, I think, had they actually released it when it takes place. I think having it come out now, it's Civil like... Civil War is years old, right? <laughs> yeah, like the, all this stuff already happened, or characters already dead. But I, again, I didn't I didn't hate it. I thought it was it was fun. I like Florence Pugh a lot. She's great in it. She's, she's actually really okay. funny, so... Yeah. Other than that, I don't know. That's that's about it. I've been I've been watching through The Simpsons, but that's not no. like a new thing. That started when like the pandemic started. I'm on season seven. Okay. So just like when I whenever I <clears throat> like not every single day watching an episode or whatever, but you know right. just when I feel like it. Uh, so that's been interesting because I didn't really grow up watching The Simpsons. I've only seen like the occasional episode here and there. So finally sitting down and watching every episode in order 
has been like, oh, that's where that meme came from. And that's uh, I've seen clips of this before. Right. Or like uh, people people have spoofed this episode on Facebook and stuff like that. And actually seeing where all that stuff. That came is from. fun to see. I do like that, too. It's, it's pretty fascinating. <laughs> it's cool because The Simpsons is built on uh, riffing on pop culture and like making fun of pop culture, but then it became right, pop culture exactly. in the process of doing so. So now there are things riffing on the Simpsons and making fun of the Simpsons. So do you remember when the Simpsons would almost like do like each episode was like a self-contained parody? Like this is the Godfather episode. This is the deer hunter episode. Um, and, and this was, gosh, this is probably like, this isn't like their heyday, maybe fourth, fifth, sixth season or so. Maybe not every episode. No, not every episode. But yeah, like there like, would be a, a few episodes them, yeah. that were just dedicated to, like you know, almost like airplane style. I I, I thought those were clever. Um, those are the ones I like to sometimes go rewatch because they they certainly hold hold up, you know. But then I remember as a kid sometimes like if you hadn't, and I guess Community does. Speaking of Community, they do that too. You know, Community has the Law and Order episode community yeah. has the zodiac episode and i remember some of the things were like you know i actually gotta go watch my dinner with andre now to understand this episode more kind of thing you know yeah i i actually watched my dinner with andre because of right. community i had I never seen it before <laughs> what i thought the most shocking thing about that movie is that it's a trauma movie it was actually produced by by lloyd really? kaufman I not know. and the and the trauma team yeah <laughs> I mean, it makes sense in terms of, like, it's a very low-budget movie in a single location, so it costs next to nothing to make it, but it is not, like, when I think trauma, I think of Toxic Avenger and Sergeant Kabuki Man and stuff, but but yeah, I guess that's that's it for me, me so I will just uh, announce that next time, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about uh, Clerks and Clerks 2. And I guess by extension, the entire career of okay, Kevin Smith. Okay, that. <laughs> and and see, see just like how his career has changed and if those movies, like, of course, his newer movies don't hold up. No. Everyone kind of universally pans yeah. them. Uh, but do these earlier, I think Clerks and Clerks 2 are probably his most beloved films. Yeah. So I, I definitely. Yeah, it's like, I, you know, I'm sure I don't want to spoil and I don't want to like start talking now, but, but like, yeah, something like Chasing Amy I just think probably the subject matter would be too much to like, you know, the, the whole, the, just the whole um, politically correctness of that movie probably would, would you know, not mm. um, so, even though that was probably considered maybe his best after Clerks, I don't know, like right, people kind of hated Mallrats. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like in another episode we might have to look at like Chasing Amy and Dogma maybe, because okay. those are the other two that people tend to yeah. like a lot. <laughs> But it, it makes sense for now to just look at uh, specifically the two Clerks movies, especially the second yeah. Clerks, because I have no idea how I'm going to feel about it rewatching exactly. it. Me too. I can tell you probably, I can tell you how I feel about the original one without having to sit there and rewatch it again. I've seen it several times. Um, it's sort of, it's sort of like one of those go-to's sort of like, yeah, hey, this is on. I got to do three hours of translations. Let me watch this and something else back to back in the background. So yeah, but yeah, the yeah. second one, I'm, I'm I'm interested myself too. How how do you feel about that? And I think it'd be interesting watching them back to back too, considering so much time in real life passed and yeah, you know, yeah, there's like a twelve yeah. year gap or yeah. something like that between them. All right, so I guess All that's right. it. I will bid you a good okay. night. <laughs> I bid you adieu. <laughs> Dodson, Dodson, we've got Dodson here. 
nobody cares. Yeah.